0: good evening everyone Uh, the first reading for tonight an important prophecy about the birth of the messiah it has already been fulfilled the emmanuel the god with us starting in verse 10. again the lord spoke to ahaz ask the lord your god for a sign whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights but ahaz said i will not ask i will not put the lord God to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right for before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste this is the word of the lord
1: our second reading is from the book of romans chapter 1 verses 1 through 7 paul a servant of christ jesus our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: If you would stand for the reading of the gospel, Matthew 1, verses 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, because that is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him his name, Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord.
3: Again, let's pray. Father in heaven, we submit ourselves to your word, and to the word made flesh. And we pray that uh, your son Jesus will be our teacher this evening. And that uh, as we listen to his words, that uh, we will be instructed and led into life. And again, we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I am um, always um, challenged when it comes to talking about anything, but I'm also challenged when you approach a passage that's as well-known as the gospel passage that we read today. And the immediate, one's immediate temptation is to think, what can I say new and exciting about this? What kind of pizzazz, what kind of, you know, revelation can I, you know, bring to this old story, this ancient text? And usually after a little bit, I um, remember that the job of a preacher isn't largely to bring new truth or to bring these deep insights. But our calling is more often than not is to remind people of things that we already know because we as human beings are so terribly, terribly forgetful. We've heard the story. We've heard the truth. We don't fully assimilate it. We don't always take it seriously, and if we do if we make a commitment or have an encounter with God, well next week, the week afterwards, you know, we can barely remember what the Lord has done for us or what promise it, what promise we have made. And so really in light of all that, I think what I have to say is surely all been said before. And I'm just reminding all of us, and what I'd like to speak about is the mess or the dysfunction and the chaos that's in the Christmas story. I think many of us have a very romantic, um, not romantic, oftentimes Christmas is very nostalgic And uh, many of us can look back and uh, remember how we celebrated the holidays when we were younger. And that's all wonderful. And I don't uh, want in any way to ruin the holiday uh, or ruin holiday memories. Although I think all of us should keep in mind that uh, nostalgia is, of course, um, very dangerous. And uh, in essence, nostalgia is a false messiah because, of course, we can, we certainly can never go back. And our opening chapter in Matthew, um, in a way, really, it certainly does, to, I hope it reminds us of two things. The first is that uh, many of the characters found in the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the sinless Lamb of God, um, are, were quite broken or quite dysfunctional. And uh, their lives, you might say, was, was their lives were chaotic. They were far from perfect. So we can, a recording of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Well, Abraham was the father of Isaac. So here's this, friend of God, a man who lived by faith, but a man who, um, you know, lied, cut corners, um, showed favoritism, uh, created a pattern of behavior in his family that went to his son Isaac and then to Jacob and then to the sons of Jacob. I think those of you who know anything about family systems therapy— this is a marvelous textbook case of how sin, generational sin is passed down from generation to generation. So, you know, Abraham walked by faith, but man, he, he might say he left something of a mess. Um, and then Judah, the one who sold his brother to the Egyptians, and it goes uh, on and on till we get to King David, who was a killer and a rapist. Yeah. Um, and then we, of course, Solomon, who started well, but ended badly. And uh, there's a few goodies in there, like Hezekiah, but then there's some, uh, some uh, bad DNA with Manasseh. And it goes... Uh, it goes on and on. So, the Christmas story is really a story. Is, again, it's a messy story. It's a it's a story of many dysfunctional people. It's a story of chaos. Really, it's there's nothing sentimental uh, about all of this. Me- some of the mess was created by, uh, was due to the sin of the characters that we read in the genealogy, and others were just victims of someone else's sin. You might say they came by it quite innocently. The genealogy also reminds us, Matthew's genealogy, is that this, the whole story of Jesus, the whole story of what we call the gospel. The whole story of being saved—and, by the way, being salvation and the gospel are not necessarily the same thing. Salvation, what it means to be saved, is part of the gospel, but it's not the entire gospel. All of this only makes sense and can only be understood in the context of the history of Israel. Accepting... Falling on your knees in Hong Kong and accepting Jesus as Savior is wonderful. But to fully, fully understand what's going on, it has to be in the history or the story, in the story of Israel, in the story of of the Jewish people, in God's dealings with Abraham and his descendants. And so this scandal, this brokenness, and We can ask ourselves a question: What what can what good can come out of this? Yes. So now we have the story of the birth of Jesus, and it's told this and t- it's told in Matthew's gospel, more or less from Joseph's point of view, unlike Luke, who focuses on Mary. And Matthew's gospel will emphasize right uh, the uh, Jesus and his. Uh, Jewish kingship. Um, And so this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be with child. She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So this is a very, by the way, very, very uh, Jewish birth narrative. All the great heroes of the Bible have um, miraculous, <clears throat> miraculous births. And if um, there's nothing miraculous noted about the birth of Isaiah or Jeremiah, for example, and then uh, in Jewish tradition, um, you, you might say that um, it, there were stories attached to uh, the birth of the prophets, the judges, the kings, because no great godly person can have a normal birth. And so here it's true. And uh, you might say this is the ultimate miraculous birth. This is the virgin birth. And you have this character, Joseph. Now, Joseph is a righteous guy, right? It makes the point that he's righteous. Here's a man who's upstanding, a man who probably has um, uh, no uh, scandal attached to him, a man who's Torah observant. And yet, all of a sudden, his world or his life is turned upside down. And it's sometimes easy just to read this story and to flatten Joseph in his personality and to think, oh yeah, he probably just, yeah, had an angel visit him and had a dream, and he just so easily accepted all this. Can you imagine, even with an angel, a visitation of an angel, or even a dream that comes from God, how hard it must have been for him. Right? Um, Again, a man who probably had a well-ordered life, uh, a good reputation, and all of a sudden, what is going on here? Right? One of the reasons the text emphasizes that he's righteous is for the sake of letting you know and me know there's no hanky-panky going on beforehand meaning there were not, this couple was not having sexual relations, right? Here's a man who was Torah observant, living by the law of Moses, which prohibits uh, sexual contact before marriage. And so Joseph has to make this really, really difficult decision. What is he going to do? Um, He could have easily ran through the village the small village of Nazareth, seven, several hundred people, and said, look what she's done to me. Look how she's destroyed my reputation. I'm innocent. And believe me, unfortunately, in that time period, they probably would have more likely believed the man than the, believed the woman. And so Joseph could divorce her. But uh, with a scandal, she might end up a beggar. Or even a prostitute, her future wasn 't going to be wasn 't going to be very bright and I know it 's not in the text and it 's not canonical, but probably about a hundred years after the birth of Jesus, um, there was a collection of stories put together uh, in a document called the proto gospel of James and it tells some stories that around the birth of jesus and there's this it tells what happened to Joseph when he received right, this divine revelation about uh, his fiancée, Mary. And it said that he fell on the ground in shock and started to weep and wail, yes, because he found the whole thing so overwhelming. Again, I don't know if that's true. But actually, I can imagine that might have been his initial reaction. And yet, in all of this, ultimately, because it says that he is a man of compassion, what does he do? Out of of compassion, he wants to put her away. But ultimately, out of compassion, he takes her to be his wife. And the suspicion— and the scandal and the misunderstanding it w- uh, stuck to that couple then, and it's still with us today. That's the sacrifice that actually he made by being faithful. Yes, it was very costly. It was very costly. No doubt he loved Mary, and no doubt that he loved God, and he was prepared to sacrifice, yes, uh, as a result and um, the probably the thing that we don't really think about very much is what kind of influence did Joseph and Mary have on Jesus yeah actually Joseph you hardly ever think about Joseph because Mary stole stolen the show you know Right? So, what kind of influences—if it says that Jesus, it says that he was righteous and we see that he's compassionate, what, is that? what does that do for Jesus? Ever notice how many times in Matthew's Gospel it talks about Jesus looking at people or looking at a situation? And what does it say? It says he's compassionate. Where does he learn such a thing? He learns it from Joseph. You know, Jesus didn't drop in like Star Wars or drop in like, you know, Star Trek or something, right? from outer space with all of this stuff in him. And Jesus, when he has to go to the cross and he has to make a difficult decision that he, won't, he doesn't really perhaps fully understand, or when he has to make a sacrifice Yes, he has Joseph and his mother in front of him. Both of them said yes to the Lord without fully understanding God's plan and by, you might say, uh, bearing the consequences, which again led to scandal, misunderstanding, suffering, derision. Again, that's still with us to this day. If you want to talk about bring up the virgin birth in most circles. But Joseph remains faithful. He remains faithful. He remains obedient, and ultimately, in all of this. And so, the passage goes on to tell us um, that Mary is um, Mary is going to. What Mary is going to conceive is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, I think what's, again, what's sometimes missing on us is that we don't necessarily take uh, the, the identity of Jesus as a son very seriously. Well, we think of him, he is the Messiah. I don't want to be misquoted or mis... He is the Redeemer. He is the savior. He is the judge. He's all those things. But very often we say, oh yeah, he's just, he's the son of God, as if it's some kind of state of being. But I'll tell you that in Matthew's gospel and even maybe in all the gospels, that being a son is more than just being, you know, somehow related to God, however you want to understand that, right? Being a son, being a son is a, a, uh, you might say, a state of obedience, right? What makes Jesus a son is not just the Holy Spirit. What makes him a son is that he obeys the Father. He is faithful, right, to the Father who sent him. In the midst of chaos or in the midst of misunderstanding, Yes? Now, we all know that um, this idea of being a son of God shows up a few times in the Old Testament. Sometimes angels are called the son of God. Sometimes, uh, at least one place, Israel is called God's son. Um, David is called uh, the son of God. Adam is called the son of God. And it's very, um, uh, kind of I, th- I think it's kind of a fascinating uh, understanding of what happens to this concept of sonship. Uh, and there's one, sorry, it was one verse, uh, and it's, um, you might say, interpretation that uh, becomes very, very important for the gospel writers, even if they don't refer to it. And this is 2 Samuel seven 14, thirteen and 14, and it says in 2 Samuel, when God is making promises to King David, he says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you, meaning a dynasty. Uh, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. What does that sound like? And then it goes on to say, this will be the relationship, the, the, the intimate, um, uh, let's see, it says, he is the one, sorry, I will be his father, and he will be my son. Right? Here's a king who's the son of God, who is, yeah, there's sonship, there's kingship, and by the time we get to Jesus, Jewish people, yes, different Jewish groups, different Jewish circles, understand that this is a verse, right, for the Messiah. This is the Messianic verse. And when the king is the son of God, right, he is the object of God's love, God's affection. Yes, God's faithfulness. And that king uh, exercises and rules in the name of God. And he's expected, if you read Deuteronomy, for example, he's expected to be obedient. Although in the history of Israel, sadly, there were few, if any, kings who were totally or fully obedient to God. Yes. And um, you might say that Jesus, in his sonship, in his obedience, he's always tested as a son. You know, when Jesus is in the desert, a passage we'll read, in a few months, when we get to Lent or just before Lent, no, the first Sunday in Lent, when Jesus is being tempted in the desert, what does the devil say? If you are the Son, yeah, do this, right? I feel really the, the obedient servant, do it, you know. And then what about Peter in the region of Caesarea of Pilippi? What did Peter? Peter? Jesus says, "Who do you say that I am?" And Peter gets the right answer. Peter says, "You are, you know, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God." And Peter is probably thinking at that moment, "Man, I'm hot. I'm good. <clears throat> you know, I'm. I can't. You know, like a guy at the casino who's winning money. You know, all. The, and then." Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. And Peter says, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't go to Jerusalem and die. we got to go to Jerusalem and set up the coalition, the government, you know. And you can be the president and I'll be the prime minister. Judas can run the treasury. And, you know, Andrew can run the navy. I don't know, you know. And Levi can run the internal revenue or the IRS. This is going to be great, Jesus. And Jesus has to rebuke him. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, the same. He's tested in the Sanchez. He's tested in his obedience, just like we're tested. And even when he's on the cross, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, people say, you're son, you say you're the Son of God. Come down from that cross. right? Come down? Come down from that cross. Come down from that cross. So... A little bit further, we won't go really long, but um, we have that baby being named Yeshua. Jesus will save people from their sin. And uh, what sometimes worries me is that more often than not, we stop there. Now, it's not the worst place to stop, but there's actually something more. And if we only stop at Jesus forgiving sins or dealing with sins, I think we haven't gone perhaps all the way. We've only gone part of the way. And uh, what we talk about, we begin to talk about the gospel, the gospel, it's about getting saved. Now I think getting saved is wonderful and justification by grace is wonderful. I think these are all very biblical. And there's no way I'm trying to minimize, right, getting saved or having life after death. There's... there's, there's but isn't there something more? Because after we read about Jesus saving us from our sin, yes, we read that he is Emmanuel god with us which by the way isn't a personal name it's more, more like a job description of uh, what of what he does and so we're sometimes we sometimes think the goal is to be saved or the goal is to go to heaven or the goal is you know sometimes somehow get in touch with god And he'll provide consumer services for us, you know. He'll fix us, he'll heal us, you know. He might get my son a good job, and surely he'll find her a good wife, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But what does it mean, Emmanuel? And again, this is where the history of Israel is really really essential. And this, I think, is is the heart of the gospel. Yeah? In brief, the people of Israel went into exile. And why did they go into exile? Because of their sin, right? It's their sin that separated them from God, and God, yes, his presence with his people um, wasn't like it was before. You, maybe you remember when Zerubbabel builds the temple, yes, uh, and the temple is uh, reestablished or rebuilt after the exile, there's no cloud of glory, there's no miraculous, there's no Holy Spirit like there was in Solomon's temple. Yep, but you read Isaiah, and what does Isaiah say to us? Isaiah talks about God returning to his people, God restoring his people. Now, God not only bringing healing or forgiveness Or regathering, yes, binding up the wounds of those who are brokenhearted, yeah, but God's presence, right, in some dramatic, overwhelming way will will return to his people. And not only will the presence of God come to the people of Israel, the Jewish people, it will come to the nations. It will come to the nations, and that is the gospel that Paul talks about, yes, uh, in, in, our, in Romans 1, when he says, "Paul, a servant I have to move this. Paul, a servant of uh, Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, and set apart for the gospel. But by, by the way, he's writing to people who are saved. Yes, he's writing to the saved, now, but he wants just t- he wants to show them the you might say the bigger picture, the gospel he the good news the ecstatic good news the fantastic the incredible good news that he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding what his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who and through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God. By the way, he's already the son. So by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call from among all the Gentiles, yes, to the obedience that comes from faith, right? Here's God's called, and later Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, right? It's first, to, it's first for the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Here's the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is God is returning to history through and in his person, Jesus the Messiah. And in the process, he's dealing with sin, not just so that we can go to heaven, but so that fellowship and intimacy can be restored with him, right? Sin has to be removed. The fear of death has, to, and death has to be removed. The power of the devil has to be bro- broken. Why? Because God's program from the beginning, or God's reason for creating us, was to have fellowship with us, right? The fellowship begins now and continues after we die. Yes, it's God with us, Emmanuel. That's If you want to talk about salvation, it's full of sense. That's salvation, it's full of sense. That's what eternal life is in John's gospel. It's that fellowship. Yes, it's that fellowship. And um, isn't it interesting that the book of Matthew begins with that, and our very last verse, the very last verse, ends with, A promise. Jesus says this, by the way, to to those who are doing his will, right, or doing what he commanded. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. To the very end of the age. And uh, I think it's our challenge, as like was the challenge of Joseph, right? In the midst of our mess, in the midst of our dysfunction, in the midst of the chaos that flows all around us, and sometimes we're the victims of chaos, and other times we create it, sometimes purposely and sometimes inadvertently, right? that oftentimes leads to a discouragement right where where is the lord in all of my drama where is the lord in all of the mess of my family or my church or my nation or you know the nations of the world where is the lord you know in the ukraine russian ukrainian russian war Right? All of these things, but what does it mean, Emmanuel? God is here. God is here, and this Rabbi Jesus, yes, this Jewish Jesus, this Son of God, this faithful Son of God, was also a Son of Israel. Right? He is the Lord, universal Lord and Savior, not um in spite of his jewishness but in his jewishness right it's in the story of israel that god is redeeming us and redeeming uh, and redeeming the nations and you know the the um question is if god is emmanuel as i said where is he in all of this all of this, and, you know, God is here. God is here in our midst, and again, in our messiness, in our cynicism, in our hopelessness. He's here in the midst of, uh, of the horrible things happening in this world, and uh, He's here in the person of His Son, Jesus the Messiah. And this Jesus is um, hes bearing the world's sin, and he's overcoming it, yes, as a son. He's overcoming it in faithful obedience uh, because of his love for us and love of the world. You know, God is here, and ultimately his redemptive purposes will not be thwarted or frustrated or stopped. And uh, that's the hope that all of us have to have. That's the hope that we have. That's the hope that we have to share. That's the good, good news, right? The good news of the gospel. Not only that Jesus wants to save us. No, that God is here and he's in our midst and that he is at work. And the way that we respond to that is, well, of course, repent. Right? repent, repent, and believe the gospel, or repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is beginning to rule and reign through Jesus, like He's never He's never done before. But we respond with faithfulness. Yes, if we can do such, we can respond faithfully, even when things are indeed messy and chaotic like they were for Joseph or they or they are for most of us on a day-to-day basis then you know we can hear the message of the angel that came to Joseph what did that angel say what did the angel say when he appeared to Joseph help me do not fear do not fear right do not fear Jesus right it's God's presence amongst us. He is Emmanuel, Manuel, and He's at work. Nothing is impossible for Him. Yeah, Amen. There is no room for despair, and there's no room for passivity, and there's no room for, um, for quitting. Yes, even when things may look as bad as they do. So, Father in heaven, we pray that you will give your people fortitude and encouragement, that indeed you will help us, uh, Lord, especially uh, in the difficult situations that we find in life, that indeed you will um, strengthen us with faith and expectation. And Lord, may may we never doubt, Lord, that whether we're in good times or bad times, You know that um, you have somehow left us or that you cannot be found. We pray that uh, you will enable your people to overcome and to trust, Lord, not only in your love, but in your presence for us, presence with us in all situations. Amen.
1: Thank you for listening.